Someone is getting to the mic. Oh, hello. Lovely to meet you both. Um, mostly because I want to hear you rant. Uh, can we talk about Doug Ford's mental health investments that he's giving to the police? And uh, I think I know your thoughts on this, but I really, really want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, you know... Mental health does not get taken seriously in a particular way. Like, okay, so you have, like, organizations like Bell who, like, pretend to care about mental health, like, for a little bit, and they, like, they, they make, like, a let's talk campaign, and that's how we talk about mental health, as though it's divorced from everything the fuck else in, in life. It's like, if we just deal with mental health over here in this box, everyone will be fine, but a capitalist system is still working for us, everybody. It's great. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. And so it takes a long time and a lot of struggle to get uh, people to care about mental health in a particular way. And it is so frustrating that once power is like, okay, we're going to invest in mental health, it's like so many things could have been done. A whole new service could have been created to deal with crisis intervention situations where right now, currently, the police are dealing with those situations often and oftentimes are dealing with it in the most heinous of ways, the most unhelpful of ways. And we know that for many of the people who interact with police and end up either dead or harmed, many of those people are people who are suffering from mental health illness. And so to, for for the, the government to finally say, like, people in power to finally say, okay, we're going to do something about this, and then to fucking give it to the police, it's like, that was your strategy before. That is no change. That is the same strategy. It's as though you said, we're not going to be dealing with mental health, and we're just going to overfund the police. It's the same thing. You're doing the same thing. It is... Uh, a fucking embarrassment, it's a slap in the face, it's fucking offensive, and it's, it feels really awful to have been a part of people who are trying to really force the people to start thinking about safety differently and to start thinking about health and security in a fully different way. To, to have someone say, well, let's, let's get some brownie points off of saying that we're going to do something about this major, major problem in our society and do status quo. Yeah, I, th the other thing that I find very interesting is the direct attack that it, that it represents on average people. It's like it is, it is very clearly, okay, we hear that there, is, there are movements to, to, to make mental health discussions more normal, more mainstream. Uh, we're talking about destigmatization. We're talking about uh, we're talking about what it feels like to struggle with whatever, right? And the conservatives are like, "Fuck you!" Actually, mm -hmm. we're not. Not only are we going to not fund these services, but we're going to give them to the police, and we're going to give them to a notoriously brutal group of people who absolutely make things worse for mental health in like a variety of ways. So um, they're like, I, I don't want to actually du duplicate anything that Sandy said. And so one of the other things that I think that we can, we can, we can take from this is, um, is that it's, it is the status quo, but it's like, it's an aggressive retrenchment of the status quo, mm -hmm. right? Like we are living in a society now where the status quo is, deterioration mm -hmm. right so it's not even just the maintenance of an imperfect state uh, system but is it is the the continued deterioration of an imperfect system that is getting worse and worse and worse mm -hmm. and so people are more isolated people have fewer and fewer ability to even reach out and talk to people there's like you know, with the demise of religion is really great for a lot of reasons, in my personal opinion. But, of course, religion gave people meaning and community, right? And so what has replaced that? Like, you're not necessarily seeing people every single week who you know or you don't know, and you're sitting there if you went to church every Sunday. There's nothing that's replacing this. So you literally have no other social supports at all, right? Mm -hmm. You are fully isolated, unless you're lucky to be connected with a, a community that still has some ability to have some resources. Or you have a community 
but you have no resources and actually you're just collectively suffering and you're trying to, you know, support each other through the best that you can. And so, like, I'm not scandalized, actually, by Doug Ford doing that. I, I fully expect that. I, I, I think it would actually take a really unbelievable p position for Doug Ford to do something that I would be scandalized by because I am expecting that violent re-entrenchment of the deteriorating status quo. But it's, um, it, it's, it's just a bait and switch, right? There has, there's nothing at all to do with mental health no. with the police other than criminalizing it more stigmatization, death or murder, and an and injury. As, as we know, statistically speaking, by far, people in crisis are at the most risk for harm uh, by the police. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that question, because, you know, that was really uh, a rant that needed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sort of dial it back, I guess, back to kind of the Twitter conversation, um, and specifically about how you've noticed effective responses changing over time. You talked about don't feed the trolls, da, 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 da. In 2012, I was on a weird storm front list of Twitter Jews, which was exciting. Um, yeah, but like an actually effective way to deal with them was I kept asking them if they'd considered petting a dog instead um, and just sort of relentlessly mocking them. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure relentless mockery would not work today. And I'm just wondering about your experiences if you've noticed that shift taking place. I mean, I like GIFs. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that my most fun interactions with trolls usually include some sort of GIF. Um, but I, you know, when it comes to, like, effectiveness or, mo like, I, I mock, I choose my trolls very carefully, actually, the ones that I interact with, um, because many of the people online, if they just have one follower and, like, uh, they're following two people, it's a bot. It's, like, it's a, it's a, it's a robot that is creating itself based on somebody else's instructions and are grabbing things from other tweets that are around that it's been given instructions to do and are tweeting as a bot. And so why would I spend my time tweeting with a bot? I don't want to do that. And so, but if it's, but if it is like someone who's got like something like 10,000 followers or 5,000 or whatever, like someone who's, um, who has some sort of influence, then I do try to engage because one of the things that I found really interesting watching one particular troll who I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast already, or if we were just talking about I think it. Like, we just talked about okay. it. Okay. Um, there was one particular troll who was following Nora, who was definitely a real person, and um, I like. <laughs> Why I interact with those types of trolls is because of people like her. So she, she gets on, you know, everyone, she's definitely from uh, Saskatchewan, everyone's like bothering Nora. And I was trying to take stock of all the people who were doing that too, like taking um, screenshots and so on in case we needed them later. Um, and, and she gets Twitter. So she has like one, like she's following one person, it's Nora. And I was like, oh, she's a bot. But she's asking questions. She's like, I don't understand why you would do this. Like, I am so hurt by this. You know, this our community has been has been hurt. Why would you say we don't matter? And I was like, oh, like that's not a bot question, actually. I think she might be real. Like, she might just have found somewhere that Nora's on Twitter and wanted to engage with her personally. So I started to engage with her and. She's asking questions, I'm answering. She's like, but I don't really understand, and I don't understand this, and I don't understand that, and we're going back and forth. And it seems to be a, a, a pretty good conversation. And then one of these guys who, you know, I make the decision to mock often comes, comes in and starts entering the conversation and trying to turn it around. And literally over the course of since that happened to today, we could see her, she is now like online a troll for the right. She is like a mouthpiece for the right online. All of a sudden, she, you know, she got um, uh, told about all sorts of different issues. She became, her, own, her whole personality online became really connected to what Nora or I was doing. And in such a way that she was like, I want to prove that I'm not a bad person for feeling that Nora did the wrong thing. Because that's the way that the trolls um, who were... Uh, you know, trying to influence her were, were, were how they were characterizing her. They were like, Nora thinks you're a bad person and you're not bad for thinking that uh, the, the humbled guys des deserve support. You're not a bad person. Like, that was the way that they, 
they took it on. And then so, you know, Nora and I have a show or have a discussion about um, the pipeline. And she she starts engaging with me and Nora. And of course, Nora hasn't seen any of this because she's getting a deluge of, of things. But I'm particularly watching this person because I'm seeing how how she's literally being turned online. She's like, you know, she wants to prove to me that she is not a bad person for being in favor of pipelines. And here's the stuff that this troll shared with her about how indigenous people really do want pipelines. And so, in fact, we're wrong. And she needed me to understand that she was like, I just want you to know that what you think about indigenous people is incorrect. And I'm a good person because I found out the truth through these guys. And the truth is that indigenous people really need the pipeline. And it went on like that for all sorts of different issues until Nora did finally, uh, you know, notice, what was her name, Shauna? Shauna, finally did notice Shauna and posted something on her Facebook. Now, I've never seen uh, Shauna on Facebook, but Nora posts something on her Facebook to say, like, look at this weird bot or something like that. Blog? It, so I posted a blog post about our financial literacy. Oh yeah, that's literacy right. About our financial literacy episode. episode. Some somebody wrote a blog about how stupid we were about finances. Anyway, like and so and Sean is responding to it on Twitter, and I think Nora, I think you called her a bot on on Facebook, and then Shauna gets really offended by that and blocks Nora. Like she, like her whole like identity of like I'm a good person online became wrapped up in proving that in fact Nora and I were the bad people and because uh, Nora's like she's not even real blah 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 she sees this on Facebook and gets really upset and blocks her and then I respond to say something like well she's I've actually been following this person for quite some time and we interact back and forth every once in a while and I really think it's sad and explain like what I think is happening and then she blocks me after that so I just like all that, I say all that to say, like, I do think it's actually important to interact with some of the, the, the trolls with influence who are literally recruiting mm-hmm. online and changing someone's entire orientation. Now this person has, like, a full orientation of the world that's informed by the, like, white supremacist right in a way that she didn't have coming on to this. Like, they, they latched, they can find out, too, just as easily as we can, who's real and who's not. And, uh, and sometimes they invest time into making those people um, a foot soldier mm-hmm. for the alt right. I hate like for the white supremacist right, right? Yeah, I like I, I think so. I I have a, I employ a whole bunch of different tactics. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'd probably like come on, Nora. None of that's that's all very random. It's like it is random, but most of it is random with a purpose. <laughs> um, so I like to make fun of people. I'm I'm a great maker of fun to some extent. I try to not get too mean, but you know sometimes you can't help but tell somebody to eat shards of glass. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> what? Only when they are really mean. Um, <laughs> sometimes, uh, like there was this 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 uh, kind of this famous uh, interaction with a writer named Sachi Cole. Uh, Sachi wrote some. I think she was looking for. Um, writers and she was like please apply especially if you're not a white guy and this was one of the kind of the first big like storms where she was targeted internationally and so she just started quoting lines from goodwill hunting at people right (laughs) um i don't know you can do that now to be honest like you can if you find it funny like i often want to say back to people and sometimes i do like (laughs) i mean okay like like in my head i'm like i want to say like jose can say go bad you know Tell me you didn't pay money from this, which is a line from from the Ninja Turtles movie, right? A Jose can say go bad, right? And, and and that's just for me, right? No one is like, no one is like, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles—that's the greatest movie of all time, which it is. <laughs> but um, I, you know, or or wanting to respond with like, a sphincter says what, which is from Wayne's World, right? And someone's like, what, right? A sphincter says what? A sphincter says what, right? Um, and and again, that's for me, right? <laughs> you know that line, right? A sphincter, and they're like, what? No. no, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do not know that line. Um, and sometimes you can do something like that, and someone's like, whoa, that's so random, and I know what you're talking about. I do a lot of Simpsons quotes as well. Again, it's just for me. Um, and so sometimes people are like, oh, like the whole bear thing, right? And I was like, let the bears pay the bear tax, okay? Right? <laughs> and if you don't watch the Simpsons, you don't know what that's a reference to, right? Where Homer's like, let the bears pay the bear tax, I'll pay the Homer tax. And they're like, that's the homeowner's tax, Homer. Right, you didn't read it right. Okay, fine. 
Um, and so these kind of moments are super important to me because otherwise I just would have no fun online. Um, I, I do also engage with, um, with individuals who look like they're real uh, to some extent. Um, I, I try not to tell people to just Google it uh, unless it's like clear they're wasting my time. I do try to do a quick search of what I'm talking about to refer to people in like this super slight chance that they are actually just ignorant, that they just really don't know. Um, that's especially the case when I'm talking about things that are a little bit more complicated. So if I wanted to, uh, well, yesterday I had an argument with my cab driver about refugees, right? I just wrote an article about the border, so I have all the stats in my mind, but normally I don't have stats immediately, right? And so someone says to me, like, well, you know, uh, like equalization payments. We can have a debate about equalization payments. <laughs> it's boring, um, but that, that's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to look up equalization payments and just have that in the back of my mind and know who pays what and whatever. Okay, fine. Um, so that is one tactic as well, you know, uh, bar barraging people with, with information and stats and, and data. Um, ignoring them is really important too. Um, but one of the, the most satisfying things, I think, and this might sound weird, so I keep my direct messages open, which might be a bit of a surprise considering how much heat I get. Uh, and I love my open direct messages. Um, there are, I would say there's four men who constantly message me about issues to debate. Oh, it just, just like, you probably think, you know, whatever. You probably think that Gaza doesn't deserve to die. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And I'm not convincing this guy. I'm, like, in, in this one particular guy, this, he, you know, he, he, he sent me a picture of, like, uh, some military stuff, and I was like, oh, that's a helicopter going to Mali. That's cool that I have that now. Thank you. <laughs> um, really weird, right? Yeah, well, Bila, I remember the weirdest photo we got uh, t um, sent to us on our direct messages on Facebook once was like a woman with a gun and a Confederate flag t-shirt and like an American flag and she was in front of a railroad and she was just like, <laughs> and she just <laughs> sent us that photo and I was like, I don't know what this, what this is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this means. I don't know what you're communicating to me, but. Well, so <laughs> I, I found you. a photo <laughs> of a guy who had white phosphorus, right? The bomb, and he wrote mm. Humboldt, um, Humboldt Strong on it. And I made a comment like, you know, I'm, this guy's not gonna go viral, but what, like this white phosphorus that you're dropping on people, like. And he responded to me. Oh, he, he sent did. me a thousand words of why he's in the milita American military and how he's actually not political and, I took it out of context. It was like, what? Oh, wow, shit. Yeah, so, you know, if you're the kind of person that like likes to sit at the train station, doesn't mind talking to random people, open direct messages is that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I actually really, like, you know, I get a lot of heat in my open direct messages, obviously, as well, and so some of it is like, hey, delete or whatever. Um, the other interesting thing that was very, very effective, and actually, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned this, is whether or not you identify people sending you threats. There were a lot of people on the left who were uncomfortable that I would post the private threats that I was getting. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what is, what's the point of that? That's not ethical, that's not aiding anything, you're not helping anything. And it was like, one, I want people to see what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. Like, if I die tomorrow, I want this to be out. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's useful, right? Yeah. Two, uh, yeah, I'm gonna fucking expose you. If you send me something that tells me to kill myself, like, I have no problem fucking with your junior hockey career. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 100%. I no. have no problem with doing that. And, and I say junior hockey because there's a lot of junior hockey players that were at, at me, a lot of American junior hockey players, actually, which I thought was interesting. And, um, and in, in uh, I would say 85% of the cases of, of someone sending me something in the heat of the moment, and I was like, posted with their name so it was searchable they begged me to take it down and were like I'm so sorry like I I was I was acting out in grief and all this kind of stuff and so then I was like okay cool so this is what you have to do if I'm going to take it down you are going to apologize you are going to absolutely promise me promise like I don't we don't know who the fuck we are but I want you to put this in writing you will never touch anyone out of anger you will never use the words that you used against me against anyone ever again you will never direct message anyone like give them a fucking list they're like okay okay and it's like and I'm fucking keeping this so guess what like mm -hmm. you you do this I see your name ever again online like I am sending this to your coach I am sending this to your fucking I don't even know mom 
and uh, you're going to have to explain yourself. Yeah. And it was so effective. Now, doing that also had a very interesting side effect, which was how many hacked accounts were part of the onslaught against me. Mm -hmm. There was a non-significant number, a non-insignificant number of people's accounts that were fully hacked that were coming at me. So, like, I had one guy be like, hey, um, someone told me that they were I was attacking you online. Um, I haven't logged in my Twitter account in two years. This is super weird. Mm -hmm. Now, that could have been a line, right? They could have also just been super embarrassed by their, by their own behavior, but I have no way of knowing. But there are a lot of these people whose last tweet was like, Bell Lex talk in 2016, yeah. really. Yeah. And, yeah. But then you go to tweets and replies, and it's just nonstop harassing people and so there is a whole element of how twitter works that i just don't understand like how you can get access to someone's hacked account but i have a friend who's a cbc reporter she didn't do anything with her cbc account when she went on mat leave she just stopped using it and my, my mom was like does julia know that she's like just non-stop porn all the time <laughs> and i was like oh shit no right and i'm like hey julia you didn't disactivate your account she's like no i just left it right and it's like cbc julia right um and so of course she got back control of it and the porn stopped but <laughs> um and so i've seen how easy it is for that to happen so that's a whole other element um that the the like naming and shaming like there are some debates around doxing and don't dox people whatever but it's like sometimes anytime someone tells me that i shouldn't dox anyone i'm like you people fucking know everything about me like mm -hmm. i am so findable i have no problem doxing i have no problem posting a public message that you have written at never again canada about how you want to kill muslims i have no problem posting that because you know fucking what you should lose your job for that yeah sorry like well, that's the reason why people aren't like running into this room and yelling at us at this mic knowing that we're going to be here is because there's consequences to that happening like they're not finding us where we are they're not actually coming to us in person in some cases right like I did describe some times earlier where it's happened but they never speak to us they never say anything to us they're, we're, they're not here to have a debate because they know that the things that they're debating us about online are actually unacceptable debates to have and there would be consequences to having those debates in person in certain spaces not in all spaces but in certain spaces and so they're not doing that well why shouldn't there still be consequences where there can be consequences for the types of things that you say there are consequences for everything that we say. And like, you know, some of those consequences are stupid. Like you say Jamaican rice and make a, a funny post about it and then you have to like deal with your Facebook going off for like 300 messages. That doesn't make any sense. Or sometimes you say something that somebody gets to take out of context and like that there's a consequence for what, how Nora said what she said. Was it bad? No, but there's a consequence for the fact that she said it. And there should be a consequence for all of the people who are responding back. Like, that is what communication is. And if we want to say that that communication is unacceptable, we should be able to say that. We should be able to say, like, this is who this person is who believes this. What do you think about that, mom, boss, whomever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my new tactic is now just asking uh, who's paying these people. Yeah. So there are, there are consistent trolls. And I'm like, oh, hi, Katie from Newfoundland. Who's paying you? Who's paying you to harass me? And that's just like my constant now response to a lot of these folks. Um, and that's not for them. That's more, that's more for other people to see, right? Mm -hmm. That, oh, like, wow. You have to find a way to try and expose that behavior because otherwise it's, it's just, well, it is getting worse, right? Mm -hmm. So ignoring it's not going to make it better. better. No. So earlier tonight, before your show, we heard from uh, Cricket, who works at our local sexual assault center, about online violence, and especially with respect to young women. And uh, I think it's fair to say that the education system is falling down on modern uh, <laughs> content in uh, the curriculum uh, with respect to online violence. And I, I think it's pretty clear tonight that there are no easy answers, but I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, the next generation. You both mentioned sort of pre-internet before our online lives, and that's just not the case for this next generation. This mm -hmm. is reality from them from day one, and I don't know, does that mean that they don't have that context that the world used to be I don't know, better, but different. Um, and uh, I, I learned sex ed from the guy that worked at Becker's. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> That's different, yeah. <laughs> My sex ed but, was ex exceptional and really but great, anyway, actually. Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. 
I mean, like, okay, I'm all, I also hate school, so I'm kind of cynical about, like, the idea that they're going to teach anybody anything useful. So, um, I... <laughs> I really um, liked school. No, I hated school. You did? Yeah. Are you kidding? You know, we always talk about the gifted program and how, like, interesting I love the gifted program, and then they canceled it when I was in grade seven, uh, and that literally made me a revolutionary. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, because we didn't have an actual program. We had to be shipped out of school for a day a week, and we did that for two years. And then, and then we were put back into class, and then I was in my class of 18 kids. I, was, I went to a school of 18 kids. Like, my graduating class was 18 kids. Oh, we did, like, small. make you stand out as the weird one. Mm. Okay, anyway. Yeah, like, hardcorely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, school sucked for you. School really sucked. Um, <laughs> and so I, and, and you know, like, uh, my, my, my parents are teachers. My brother's a teacher. I come from a teacher family. Um... I, I, I think that um, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. Government solutions um, are, are good. Like, they're important. Like, there's a reason why we want healthcare to be public and this kind of thing. We have to fight for that. But um, they're also uh, easily taken apart, easily dismantled. And the left is not sophisticated enough to be able to stop these things from de- being dismantled. And so I think that when we're thinking about the sex ed issue, it's like, okay, so what are the approaches that we have to being able to fight this? It's like, one, Ford's administration is a joke. And if we were, like, if there was an occupation with dildos for, like, five minutes, I think the guy would fall apart, right? (laughs) Like, he would literally decapitate himself, right? (laughs) So, um... We should organize that. Yeah, I don't know. For example, (laughs) right? It might be good. I know. (laughs) There you go. It's it's yours now. That's your idea. Um, Let us know if you need any help. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, there's a lot of pressure that can be that can be mounted to to mounted to stop, (laughs) right? Um, To stop these changes. Um, And then, of course, there's the teacher approach where it's like, fuck what the government does. We're going to do what we're going to do in our class. And the good thing about that is, you know, good teachers will give you good education. Shitty teachers are going to be shitty teachers no matter what their curriculum says and who cares. Right. Um, But I think that. and, And so that means that we need to have, yes, the pressure against the government and fighting the government. But more importantly, are how do we have those. Um, those pockets of resistance within our schools, how do we put out that signal, right? Like, we all have a bat signal, and people, like, we attract people to us who can identify that we are interesting people. Like, it's not a coincidence that Sandy and I found each other in the world. It was fate, right? Clearly. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, we have a weirdly similar past. It's very strange. Yeah. (laughs) For people who are very different from each other. Yeah, we can can sing. We're not that different. (laughs) I love when I write like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Um, and so when we're putting those like you, we're putting those wor- things into the air. We're, we're we're attracting people to us, and 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 that helps to create nodes of action, right? Nodes of activity. And it's not enough. It's not systemic change, but it is resistance, and it, it does mean that we are inspiring other people to do these kinds of things. We're, we're populating, so that's all very important. But the more fundamental question is: um, is this fundamental transformation of society with the digital era? And it's like, number one, I absolutely don't know what that's like, right? My kids are closer to that world than I am. And I still exist on the left as a young person, which is ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, I got kids. Like, I know you can have kids as a young person, but, like, I wasn't young when I had kids, and now I have kids, and I'm a mom, right? Um, <laughs> and, um, and and so I, I actually, I, I don't have an answer. Sandy might might have a better answer, but... The, 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 the way that we live and survive in the digital era is, is, is the construction of the digital activists today. It is, it is an 8-year-old, it is a 10-year-old, it is a 12-year-old, it is a 16-year-old, right? And so it is critical for us to figure out how to give them the tools to, to actualize what they understand is survival online. Um, there is a role for parents to play. Like, I don't know if you saw that this, there was, like, a mom was horrified that, like, her seven-year-old's avatar in some weird alternative universe was gang raped. And it was like, what the fuck alternative universe is your seven-year-old? Like, I don't want to really blame the parents, but like, what, right? <laughs> okay, like, there's, so there's, there's digital literacy that we do need to undertake because, of course, all these games, can, they're all virtual, right? So they can be hacked, and you can imagine some weirdo being like, ha I'm going to fuck with some kids, right? Uh, and so these are the new virtual spaces. It also, though... 
reminds more than ever that the intergenerational solidarity that is required to understand the pre-internet world and what that gave us and what we have lost is imparted to young people. And so what I'm specifically thinking here is, so there was an interview of um, Alexandria or uh, Ocasio-Cortez who, that was doctored, right? Where so she apparently, I didn't watch it because I can't watch this shit, I find it like, ugh. Like, uh, so, it, like, apparently her answers are, are, are unbelievable. And you think it's a real interview because it's like, you know, they, like, doctored it, right? And, um, and this is a way to discredit her because you think it's a proper interview and she's saying, I don't know if she's saying things that are the over-the-top left-wing or over-the-top bad or whatever. I, as I say, I didn't watch it. But uh, there were people like Gerald Butts who was like, oh, this is, like, the biggest threat to our democracy. And it's like, sorry, no, Gerald, you're the biggest threat to our democracy. <laughs> but anyway, he's uh, head of uh, the prime minister's office. Um, but it's a good reminder that this is going to get a thousand times worse. Mm -hmm. That like our likeness will be replicatable, didn't say, and we will be able to be to made to say anything, mm -hmm. right? And so like the stuff that I experienced for saying something that was true that I said personally is going to be nothing of like what it's going to be like the day that you know something that is totally horrible is attributed to someone and then they have to deal with the consequences, which means. The paradox of this era is that the relationships that we have in real life are the most important. From a political perspective, uh, Alexandria can get past that with her voters if they met her, right? We, like, you can't, you can't tell someone that this person is X when you have met them, you know them, you're like, that doesn't seem right. And then you can see the news, oh, it was, it was cut together by a right-wing like shitty news site. And so those real life gatherings become absolutely critical. And what makes it difficult, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is that they're not natural anymore. We don't need each other in the same way because we are isolated. We have our online communities. And online communities are great, but they are absolutely not the same thing as real life communities. We need them both. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that's actually the solution to dealing in the digital age is those those relationships and those connections to keep you afloat, to keep you from falling into a vortex of total filth, mm -hmm. which is always pulling you in there if you're living online. I think a couple of things when I was thinking of your question. One is that um, I, th I think, I don't know for sure, but I think we're going to be moving more and more into a world where what we say online doesn't really matter. Because right now you can find something that someone said online that's super heinous and oh my God, so weird. But we're now growing up at a time where people are living their entire lives online from the time they're quite young and not in the way that Nora and I did where we're like being super curatorial about it. People are you know, going to be seven years old online and then 12 years old online and then 18 years old online and then maybe decide that they want to run for office when they're 35 and that stuff is still there. You know, like it's going to, like the way that we deal with what people have done in their past online is going to shift rapidly in the next 10 years, I suspect. So that's one thing that I'm thinking of. The other thing is that I really think that uh, kids who are growing up in this time right now are going to design what the solution is because we don't get it, actually. We just don't get the world. And like, let's all think back to when we were in school. I mean, my, my parents were uh, very progressive when it came to sexual education, so I, I had like a, a book about good touch, bad touch when I was like three, and had like the what's happening to me like read to me when I was seven like with my mom and my sister, and we were like all talking about it. But not, not everybody gets that. But then what did I do is I went to school, told everybody <laughs> about, <laughs> I read this book called What's Happening to Me, and you know about the good touch and the bad touch. You know, like we, <laughs> like, we, <laughs> te like as kids, like I don't know all these people who are like, my, my kids will not learn this at school. Like, yes. They will, because <laughs> they are going to tell each other. Like, that's what we did in school. So uh, the kids are definitely going to be a part of designing what that, what that 
um, you know, sexual health future is going to look like, unless they're like Oosterhof, in which case, you know, if you are, are like not going to school or whatever and being kept far, far away from this and have to like go through a rude awakening at like 31 years old, like, oh my God, what? Uh, my face <laughs> slid out of what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, but mostly I think that kids are going to have a really uh, big impact on exactly how whatever policy decisions are happening really affects kids um, uh, inside the school because, you know, there's going to be a lot of teachers who don't, who don't respect this policy. There's going to be kids who have access to the internet, and guess what? That means they have access to sexual education in one way or another. And then they, there's going to be kids who have access to other kids who have parents like mine, <laughs> you know? So I, you know, the, the kids are going to learn about this stuff regardless. And how that works in a digital age, I don't know, but they sure do. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see Fully Alive on, uh, in PDF. Went to, who went What's to Catholic that? school? That's the Catholic school's uh, sex ed. Which is, it's actually not bad. Like, we got to see naked bodies in grade seven. Hmm. Right. They were sacred, but they were naked. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do a crossword puzzle where we had to fit gonorrhea into a, into a crossword. <laughs> it was it's a very weird approach to sex ed. I mean, someone was like, Mr. Garrett, who I can't stand, so I don't mind having his name on the thing, what's a wet dream look like? And he walks over and grabs a cup, and someone goes, oh, sweet Jesus, no. <laughs> and he walks over to the sink, and he pours water, and he dumps it on the floor, and he says that. And we were like, oh. <laughs> So, like, he was a prude, but at least we had that. What hell happened at your school? I'm telling you, 18 kids, like, that's, uh, that's, it doesn't get more real than that. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, so I was kind of hoping to touch on a few things that came up throughout the podcast, or through what's going to be a podcast, and maybe link them together. Um, so I think we had a lot of conversations about how people are responding to things, and we talked about social systems, and we talked about help, and we talked about struggling, and we talked about what it's like to maybe be a person on the internet, um, who's maybe coming from a place of social justice and what's that like? What's that like dealing with trauma, violence all the time and how are these kind of informing conversations about mental health? Um, and then we also had conversations about people in Saskatchewan who maybe I, I heard those conversations and maybe felt something akin to guilt or felt something akin to fear maybe invoking some of those conversations. And then we have conversations about people who lived in Sault Ste. Marie um, and talking about maybe the aggression that's there and other things like that. And I think I'm coming from a place where um, the DSM is fake, it's been made up, psychiatry is meant to coerce people and it's meant to be anti-black, it's meant to be anti-women. Most people in this room know these things, I think. So how can we have critical and informed conversations about the different types of struggles people may be going through or the types of experiences people may be having that don't lend themselves or don't replicate that authority of kind of medical models and psychiatry so we can maybe cut through the shit, if that makes sense, um, and get to the conversations where we can talk about toxic, toxic aspects of identity and things like that and like who, what are experiences people having and things like that. So like looking at recent events in Toronto and like the disparate attempts when different people who have done similar things use the phrase mental health or their loved ones use the frame mental health um, and how certain people get to escape that and certain people aren't allowed to have that and moving away from those conversations because they obviously don't work, they're t they don't. And what do productive conversations look like? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that very big question. I, like, I want to start with... Um, uh, Nora and I used to work in the same office um, back in 2010, 11. And, uh, you know, there became a time when, you know, we're, we're doing, we're working on education justice at the time. Um, and there became a time where it became very on vogue to start talking about mental health. And w I remember, like, we were really frustrated by the way the discussion was happening because and I think we alluded to this earlier in this discussion, but it's like it's, it was happening as though it was divorced from anything else that was, that was 
real in students' lives. Mm -hmm. And so people would say, you know, we have to deal, you know, students are having the roughest time right now. Students are going through so much. And, you know, students need access to doctors and students need access to counselors. And we just need to invest in a robust mental health apparatus and then the students will be fine. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, why aren't we looking at what's happening in the education world that is maybe affecting a personal response to being a student right now. Like, is it possible that it's difficult to be a student and also feed yourself and that contributes <laughs> to a life where you're going through some struggles with stress or however your body responds to not being able to feed yourself while educating yourself? No, nobody wants to talk about that. We just want to make sure that there's less waiting lists at the counselor's office. That's it? That's the only way we are going to address this issue? Really? This conversation, imagine Sandy literally like across the table from bureaucrats asking <laughs> this question because it was exactly like this. <laughs> it may have been. <laughs> but and, and so I have the same struggle when we are... You know, all the discussion around gun violence that's happening in Toronto right now, it's like, you know, I remember I said something, I, I posted this like rant on the BLM Twitter account one time recently, and uh, like part of it was something like, you know, we need um, uh, arts funding. It was one of the things that I was saying that needed to happen to address like the root causes of, of gun violence. And pe people were like, <laughs> arts funding you're nuts like you think that arts funding is going to have any impact on guns gun violence yes i do i think that people are struggling for very little resources in the things that they love and can do and that sometimes that results in an unhealthy competition because of people struggling to get out of poverty and they need access to that money so they can get to that recording studio or so that they can do that art show so that they can maybe afford something. And it causes friction within communities. And to think that gun violence just springs out of nowhere, that any violence springs out of nowhere, is outrageous. And, you know, when, you know, th there was, uh, um, you know, well, there's lots of uh, killings recently, gun violence, that had, that, where gun violence was an issue. Um, one that was on Queen Street where that involved somebody that I knew who, who was one of the people who was killed. And it's like to, for people to not think about mental health in that situation because the people involved are black. It's like, oh yeah, gangs, <laughs> you know? Like just obviously within the black DNA, it is gangs, and so it has nothing to do with mental health. It's all criminal. And then, you know, prior to uh, the name of, of the shooter who, uh, who where the, the mass killing that, or mass killing, the, the mass shooting that happened on the Danforth recently in Toronto, prior to his name being released, people were under the assumption that this person was white, uh, based off of some video that was released, and uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of discussion about mental health, and you know, what can we do to support people like this? Nobody was being called sewer rats. Nobody was uh, referring to gangs, except for to say this doesn't appear to be gang related, which is just code for I didn't see any black people on the street tonight. You know, like it's uh, it's it's outrageous. But in in both situations, none of that comes springs out of nowhere. You know, most people who take it upon themselves to get a gun and kill someone has something going on in their mind that probably should have been addressed at some point. Like, I think most people, even if we're talking about the police and the military, I think most people <laughs> who are picking up a gun and are killing someone have something going on in their minds that should have been addressed at some point. And it's not a, oh, they're acting out, let's make sure that they get to the counselor's office and get them some pills. Although, you know, maybe some of those things are helpful at times. I'm not saying, like, this is, there's a one-size-fits-all to anything. But I do think we never culturally or socially have a discussion about what 
brings so many people to this place where we want to hurt each other, or where some people, and by and large men, are hurting each other, are hurting other people in our society, are killing each other. It's always divorced from a discussion of, of poverty or social supports or whatever. And the, the shooter in the, in the Danforth um, situation, like you, you read, of, like this Toronto Star did a quite excellent story where they talked about who he was. He has a brother who is in a coma. He has a sister who was killed recently, I think, in a car crash. He has a, a father who is in and out of hospital um, with some health issues. Like, maybe, you know, maybe if this guy had, like, if we lived in a society where the society, in the way that we organize our services and supports, shows people who are struggling like that some compassion, perhaps it doesn't get to a place where people are shot up on the Danforth uh, one night. You know, maybe it doesn't get to that place. And perhaps if the person who shot the person that I knew and uh, Smoke Dog on Queen Street that night had access to some supports and some resources, that person wouldn't have gotten to the point where he felt, felt like, I need to, to do this. Your question made me think of um, an interview I just heard of, uh, of Boots Riley, and he was talking about how the left has gone into hiding, uh, you know, in the United States, but I think we can say in Canada as well. And one of the places that the left has gone hiding into is art, and the other major place the left has gone hiding into is the academy. And we've had this conversation too. I know, I was listening to this, I was like, fuck. <laughs> Um, and the problem with the retreat into the academy is there's kind of there's there's multiple effect that that has. One is it venerates highly educated people, and we venerate doctors, right? So automatically, doctors are you know gods. They play god. They choose who lives and they choose who dies. And popularly, um, we we see doctors on that pedestal. But the other thing that it has done is that we speak about things in overly academic terms. We don't know how to vulgarize, and in French we'd say vulgarize. We don't know how to make something basic because we're learning it through textbooks or we're learning it through really great readings and, and, and theory and all this stuff that's awesome, but it is trapped in the academy. And so when it's trapped in the academy, there's no expression on the street for like a trigger warning, right? Like what's a trigger warning? It's like, hey, Sandy, something really unbelievable just happened to me, right? That's a trigger warning, not like, whoa, I just saw someone get hit by a car, yeah. <laughs> right? We actually do that normally, but, but in the academy, we have to have different words for it, and then it, sp it spins out, and there's no way to, to hold it, to bring it form on the street, right, in our, in, our, in our networks, except that there are, like, our own, like, I don't want to say support groups, because I don't like to think of my friends as my personal support group, but really that's what they are, um, <laughs> is that we have, we have friendships, we have places where we're actually able to debate these terms, and where we, where, we, where we actually do popularize these notions. And so it is actually through that work that we're able to get rid of, yeah, DSM definitions or, or, or ideas of, of, of a gender binary. I'm going to talk about that, actually, too, because I think that that is a really important topic. Um, and, and so that is what we need to do as progressives, is how do we populi to popularize this stuff? Now, that's, the, that's part of the work that I do and that Sandy does, is, how, is we try to write that for people, mm -hmm. right? We actually try to write articles where an average person go, oh, actually, a super right-wing guy, I'm not going to, I won't out him, a super right-wing guy got in touch with me today. He was like, your National Observer piece? He's like, I agree with it 100%. And I was like, of course you do, because you're reasonable, but thank you for <laughs> letting me know, right? <laughs> um, but this is, this, is, this is our challenge, and it's very difficult, because it means that the onus literally is on all of us who already have so much going on. It's like, why does the onus have to be on us? It is on us. We have to figure out how to take these academic concepts, and we have to use them um, we have to use them popularly. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, that the, that the, that the gender fight is, the, is, is ground fucking zero for this, right? Where um, biologically, there are only two genders, 
right? Except when you look at that biology. Not that biology. That's Marxist biology, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? But, and so, and so you get this, like, ridiculous intellectualized, faux intellectualization, because it's not real, right? So I, I have to be very clear. If I say anything that is scientifically true that's not true, I'm being, I'm lying, right? But we have this faux intellectualism that's peddled by Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's a fucking doctor of what, right? Who cares? Nothing. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and, 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 and actually, the number of people that have been in touch with me being like, no, but he, he actually is a, a psychologist, Nora. Like, you don't respect that. That's what he does. That's, again, the veneration of, of, the, of, the, of the medical fucking profession. You get this situation where you're talking about gender in this case, fully in an abstract. And, and because not everyone has transgender people who are out in their lives, it becomes like you default to, no, but biology, or this is what Dr. Peterson says, or this is what my doctor says, or this is what the, what the, what the standard international blah, blah, blah says. Whereas if we lived in a super small town where everyone was kind of related to each other and people could be who they were, it wouldn't be weird. Not, there would be no weirdness about who someone is. If someone's like, uh, yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a she, from the age of three, you're not like, devil child! <laughs> you're like, holy fuck, that's a smart kid, right? You're like, okay, wow, cool, okay. And it's not weird. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the street experience of, of something that is so, like, basic to humanity is our gender expression and how we identify ourselves. But it has been trapped by the academy, and it is so defined. And so, and at the same time, it is the over, the hyper-genderization of society, mm -hmm. where things are more gendered than they were when I was a kid, mm -hmm. where when I go to the playground, there are no girls with short hair, like, none, right? Unless they had lice, actually, literally. You're like, hey, that girl's got a shaved head. Lice. Oh, okay. Um, every girl's got pink. It's so, it's unbelievable. And I'm in this world right now, right? And, and every girl has a pink accent. And the boys are just wearing clothes. And the toys are, 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 are massively gendered. And so I actually think, and I'm sure you all probably think this too, that it's the most fundamental part of our identity because society has made it that way. And therefore it is the most... Um, it is the most extreme battlefield on which we exist today. Our gender expression, our gender identity, and, ex and, and the assertion that the gender binary of, of man versus woman, of male versus female, is fiction. Because if we convince everyone in society that that's fiction, then literally the fucking revolution is possible. Because then every, because we have just disrupted the most fundamental category of society, which is man and woman and their roles. And, and, and that is why I think online, especially, that it is so transphobic. Like, I don't have to obviously tell people in this room how transphobic it is, but it is, it is unbelievable the obsession that people have with trans identity. And it's like, why? And it's like, because this is, this is their Waterloo. If, if, if we convince them that the gender binary is bullshit, that people can be whatever the fuck or whoever the fuck they want to be, then anything can fall, that we can actually collapse any part of society. Mm -hmm. And that is so much more damaging. Mm -hmm. Like, Jordan Peterson himself was, like, not misgendering his best friend's kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, on the day-to-day -day, -day stuff, he's not even being the dick that he is so famous for being. Like, according to him, maybe he is, right? But it is attractive to so many people because it is the last vestiges of the Western white capitalist society that they really need to have upheld mm -hmm. and I don't think we've really done enough uh, writing about that mm -hmm. hi I just I was thinking of a lot of different questions but then um, one that I th think that um, has to do with you know the role of our um, popular culture and and what's going on with how it shapes all kinds of people and the way they look at themselves what kind of role models the sort of I idolatry of famous people and all this sort of like skewed vision of male female and popularity and fame and all that. I just wonder yeah. what you think about that. 
Yeah, I think a lot about this. Um, so I, I, w I watched a documentary once about like the colonization of the Ladakh people in Nepal, and there was the line in this documentary that just never got out of my head, which is that the American culture is a teenage boy culture, that everything about American culture is centered around the tastes and the desires of a teenage boy. And I was like, holy fuck. Right? That is everything. That is it. It's everything from sports to wrestling to the president to women to, to generals to oh, total anxiety because <laughs> who remembers 15-year-old boys, right? They're the worst, right? It's like I think I jumped over that age group for like friends, right? I had 14-year-old boyfriends and then I was like, nah, I'm just going to hang out with 17-year-olds because you guys are weird. <laughs> um, and, and so I think when you start to think it in, in those terms, it makes total sense, right? American hegemony uh, centered around this identity of, of the teenage boy as supremacy, white, of course, uh, as supreme, uh, means that absolute, like culture is impossible. It means that um, that 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 literature is increasingly becoming impossible unless it's literature from the margins, right? It's literature looking out, looking in from the outside. That's the only kind of interesting literature that you can produce anymore, um, if you're able to, able to produce it. Because also, of course, the society monetizes certain things, and that's not that's not that's not monetizable, which is disproven time and time again. Um, I think. Um, I don't know, like the American empire is crumbling and it's like super fun to watch and also super scary. That's where I'm at right now. Um, I have a very different take. Uh, I, I love pop culture. And I think uh, that, uh, like I love pop culture because I can see like where I am. Like I, I know like what the world is and I know uh, what people think are, is edgy being reflected back at me. And I think that black people are very, very important when it comes to pop culture. Like we do a lot of the pushing, a lot of the creating, a lot of the changing and the shifting of pop culture. And so when I see like new television shows like Pose, which is like my favorite television show right now. And if you have not watched Pose, you need to watch Pose. It's like when I see Pose reflected at me, I'm like, man, society is maybe interested in talking about gender openly. Like, wow. Like, what a, what a impossible show to have existed a mere five years ago. Like, a mere five years ago, that show wouldn't have existed. And if you haven't watched it, it's, a, it's about, uh, it's about uh, like, the, the ball scene in New York in the 80s. And so there's a lot of trans characters and people who are uh, living in their gender, like, not questioning, but living in their gender in the 80s and what society is doing at that time and how they are living amongst, and just living amongst each other at that time. And it's a brilliant show and people should watch it. And, you know, I see albums like uh, Janelle Monae's latest album where she's like, has a video that's literally just a pussy over and over and over again in like different costumes. Like how can we make, how many costumes can we make to represent a pussy? Like I, I don't know that that would have existed five years ago. <laughs> like, you know, and when I, like, I see that type of stuff reflected back at me or, um, or the change, like, the, the change in the allowable sexualities of people in hip-hop or, uh, you know, what's happening in the bounce scene of, of New Orleans. Like, this type of pop culture, I love because I'm, like, in some ways, we're winning. Like, we have a handle on some of this shit. In some ways, we're like, oh, like, Roseanne's back? That's weird. <laughs> like, and then Roseanne is gone! <laughs> yes! <laughs> you know, we're winning! <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I, there's, it's like, uh, the pop culture is like, you can kind of see what's happening on the battleground. And so, uh, I think that there's, there's a, a piece of pop culture that's like, Definitely just the teenage boys, but there's there's also a piece of pop culture that's just like created by by people who like don't find their expression necessarily everywhere, and it's becoming popular. It's like these things that were ne not necessarily popular, like like couldn't be popular ten years ago, but those things are becoming popular. So what does that mean? What is being reflected to us about our society that people can get the funding to get something like this on television, something like this on Netflix, something like this online in, a, in wherever the fuck? Uh, I think that that's really instructive. 
uh, for us to, to see where we're at and to know what's happening. Uh, when it comes to like the idolization of figures in pop culture, yeah, like I, I really hate that <laughs> so, so much. Like the amount of times like, you know, people want to have like a discussion about like, but what does Beyonce really and truly think about feminism? Like is she, like who cares? Like is the feminist battleground going to be fought on Beyonce's body? Really? Like I don't think so like she's awesome for all kinds of reasons but I like I don't really care if she's the right feminist or not I care if my ideas around feminism match up with Nora's ideas about feminism and if they don't like why like can we have a discussion about like who's right or like if we can come to a compromise about what this really should be and like have discussions amongst ourselves but I don't really want to argue online for weeks on end about, you know, what the fuck Beyonce just said about whatever the heck, you know, like that, that type of, um, like, idolizing of pop cu popular culture figures and what they think, I, I find really strange and I have a really hard time dealing with. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing that you brought up. I, um, um, I'm not into that, but I do like, uh, I like pop culture because I like seeing the impacts of like the work that we do reflected back at us when it starts to become popular and it's like, yeah, something's happening here. I guess that's it. <laughs> Thank you for having us. This is so cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about when we have an audience. I know, right? <laughs> And we didn't have to stop after 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>